This is KMTT. Tuesday, Parshat HaShavua, will be delivered by Rav Alex Israel. This week in Parshat Bo, we see the end of the process of the ten plagues. We see the last three plagues. And it is in Parakud Bet, in chapter 12, that we read of the uh, amazing night, the night in which the firstborn are killed, and uh, the entire episode of the slaughtering of the lamb, the Pesach, and the way that uh, Bnei Yisrael, um, if we read the Psukim, uh, they come out after 430 years. They emerge from Egypt, the exodus takes place, and the objective is reached. Am Yisrael are free. However, before Bnei Yisrael leave the, the, the land of Egypt, they are asked to engage in a, an interesting ceremony. And that is the, uh, the night where they are asked to daub the blood on their door, doorways and to eat the Korban Pesach, or eat the Pesach. It's really not a Korban in Mitzrayim. The Korban will take place later in the Bet Mikdash, But at this stage, it is simply the Pesach. It is the Mishnah in Pesachim, which raises a series of differences between what we call Pesach Mitzrayim, the Pesach which was commemorated in Egypt, and Pesach Dorot, Pesach in subsequent years. The Mishnah says, Ma bein Pesach Mitzrayim and Pesach Dorot? What is the difference between the Pesach which was celebrated in Egypt and that of the future? And lists four different things. Number one, Pesach Mitzrayim mikho mi ba'asor. Pesach in Egypt, you had to actually take the lamb on the 10th of Nisan, four days before it was slaughtered. And uh, this we see explicitly in the Psukim. Uh, the Psukim tell us, uh, you can find this in um, Perek Yudbet, Pasuk Gimel, chapter 12, verse 3. We see the notion that we were to actually purchase the animal on the 10th and let it wait for four days. Number two, says the Mishnah, you had to daub the blood on the doorposts. In subsequent generations, uh, the blood of the sacrifice goes onto the altar. The third thing um, is ne'echal b'chipazon. It has to be eat, eaten in a hurried manner. Before we left Egypt, when they ate, they are told explicitly that they have to eat hurriedly. Uh, the Psukim say the following, You shall eat it, the lamb, in the following way, your loins girded, shoes on your feet, the staff in your hand, eat it in a hurried manner, in a Pesach for God. We will return to this feature later. And the last thing is that Pesach only lasted for one night in Egypt, whereas in subsequent years it lasts for seven days. And uh, many have wondered uh, why there is this insistence to have taken the lamb four days early, why the blood has to be daubed over the doorposts. What exactly is the purpose of this unique ceremony? 
Many answers have been given to this, but I would like to relate to uh, one of them. Maybe we'll start off with the, the, the Rambam in Moranavuchim. The Rambam says um, that the purpose of us sacrificing the lamb in the first place and uh, the purpose of daubing its blood over the door is, is very simple. He says the Egyptians would worship sheep in general. We see that earlier on in chapter 8. You check it up. Perakhet. Pasuk Chafbet. It tells us that um, there is a sense that the sheep is the god of Egypt. And uh, the Rambam says that the purpose of all of this is that, I'll read the translation of uh, Rav Kapach, he says, we have to sacrifice the Paschal Lamb and we have to draw the blood on our doorways on the outside. We have to cleanse ourselves of those views, of those Egyptian views. We have lived in Egypt for centuries. We also have been absorbed some of their ideas. We might in a latent form think that their ideas are correct, their deities are indeed powerful. So what we have to do is we have to cleanse our minds from those views, and to publicize the reverse. He says we have to internalize the notion that the Egyptians thought that by slaughtering the lamb, we would be causing ruin on ourselves but in fact the slaughtering of the lamb will actually bring about our salvation and this internalizes the idea of the falseness the falsehood of the Egyptian gods if we hadn't got this after 10 plagues and uh, we need to publicize and even more than publicize to others to internalize for ourselves the uselessness of their gods and the power of Hashem I always think it's very interesting that the Rambam in Moranavuchim mentions that the Egyptians didn't only worship um, the sheep itself, but they worshipped the zodiac sign of Aries, of the Taleh. And of course, that is the zodiac sign around the time of Pesach, um, particularly at the time when the Egyptians felt that uh, the force of the lamb was the strongest. That is when we slaughtered the lamb and we were commanded to roast the lamb in such a way that... Uh, the aroma wafted through Egypt, one imagines that this was quite a protest, quite a statement to Egypt um, as a rejection of their gods, and that any Israelite, any one of B'nai Israel, in doing this was making a major statement of the rejection of the entire Egyptian culture. Maybe this wasn't even so easy for many of the uh, slaves, even though they probably despised Egypt, Egypt was home. And this rejection was a very important process in the emancipation of B'nai Israel from Mitzrayim. Rashi takes this in a slightly more spiritual level. And uh, Rashi quotes uh, Chazal, I believe in the Mechilta, and uh, talks about why we need to bring the Pesach. You can find the Rashi on Pasuk Vav, 
Perak Yudbet Pasuk Vav, chapter 12, verse 6. Rashi takes this further and says the following. He says, Why did we have to take the lamb somewhat earlier, four days before Pesach? And uh, what he does is, he starts, he, he quotes a, um, a midrash of Rav Matya ben Harash, who says, and Rav Matya ben Harash is going to quote from uh, the 16th chapter of Yechezkel, of Ezekiel. Let's see what he says. The verse in Yechezkel says, And I passed over you, and I saw that your time was a time of, you were ready for marriage. But he says, Eitodim means, and he understands it metaphorically, meaning it is the time when the fulfillment of the promise which I promised to Abraham has come around. In other words, his interpretation of Yecheskel, what is the eight dodim that I promised to Avraham um, that their children will be slaves for 400 years in Egypt and now the time of redemption has come about. The Midrash continues and says, that the Israelites were so assimilated they had no mitzvot whatsoever. They had no virtues, Kadeshi Galu, in order that they should be redeemed. As it says, and you were naked and bare. So Midrash continues, and They were given two commands, both related to blood: the blood of Pesach, the blood of the sacrifice, the damila, and the blood of circumcision. On that night, they circumcised themselves, as it says, mitboseset you were wallowing in your bloods. There were two types of blood. Let me explain the Rashi. The Rashi is claiming that uh, the time had come to redeem the Jewish people because God had promised to Abraham, he had made a an oath with Abraham, or maybe I should say a covenant, the Brit Bain Abatarim, that uh, Abraham's children would be slaves for 400 years, but then they would come out of slavery, Baruch and the 400 years are up. However, it would be impossible to redeem the Jewish people without them deserving it, without them doing some action in order to stimulate it on their own on their own uh, virtue. And therefore, what do they have to do? They have to engage in two acts, two bloods. Uh, the blood of Pesach and the blood of Mila. And this gives them their virtue. What I find amazing is the way that this Midrash is based on the Psukim from Yechezkel, chapter 16. And uh, the reason why I find this amazing is, well, first of all, if you open your Rashi, you will see the order in which he quotes the Psukim. I'm looking here and I can see the references. He first quotes the Pasuk, which is verse 8, chapter, Pasuk Chet. He then quotes the Pasuk, Va'at Arom which is verse 7, Pasuk Zahin. And then he quotes, Mit which is verse 6. It is a strange Midrash, which reads the chapter backwards, from verse 8 to verse 7 to verse 6. What exactly is going on in the Midrash? If we open the chapter in Yechezkel, 
which is being quoted, Yecheskel, chapter 16, Perektet Zion, uh, we will see a very typical view, which is found, uh, a perspective on Yitziat Mitzrayim, on the Exodus, which is found in many, many places in Sefer Yecheskel. To summarize this perspective, uh, Yecheskel thinks that Yitziat Mitzrayim, the Exodus, happened despite Bnei Yisrael. In the view of Ezekiel, Bnei Yisrael certainly did not deserve to uh, come out of Egypt. They did not deserve to be freed. Why do they come out? Why does God grant them the Exodus? For his own sake, the Man Shemi Hagadol, God does it as an expression of his power, or possibly as an expression of his kindness. However, for Yechezkel, Am Yisrael are totally passive in the process of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Let me read you the story that is described in chapter 16. It's a pretty angry chapter. Um, but it actually begins with, Ben Adam, which is the way Yechezkel is referred, Hoda'at Yerushalayim et Why don't you go and inform Jerusalem of their abomination? This is a chapter of rebuke. But what is described here is the following scene. Uh, let me Let me depict it for you. Chapter 16 of Yechezkel describes a baby who is born. And we have this female baby, this girl, who is born. And uh, it seems like this baby has been abandoned, abandoned into the field. This baby doesn't even have its umbilical cord cut. We wonder whether the mother died or the mother simply abandoned the baby and didn't even cut the umbilical cord. But the scene is that um, a baby is lying out in the field, covered in the blood of childbirth, simply abandoned, and nobody is taking care of it. And a man walks past and sees this uh, tiny newborn and uh, takes this newborn and cares for it, cleans it, raises the, the baby until this baby becomes a grown woman. And this man who has done everything for this child uh, now actually marries, as this girl is grown up and is a fully grown woman, marries this woman, and they enter into a marriage bond. Um, in this parak, of course, the metaphor is that God is the man, and Am Yisrael is the girl, and the parak aims to show, the chapter aims to show, that God has done everything for Israel. Israel has done nothing. God created us, God brought us into being, and then God married us, and then what happens in the chapter is that the woman betrays the marriage and she goes running off with all sorts of different lovers. And these are a metaphor for Avodah Zarah, for idolatry, where uh, the Jewish people are not loyal and uh, they don't retain their loyalty to God uh, as one should within a marital relationship and they go off with all sorts of other different deities betraying the sanctity of that marital bond. What's fascinating is uh, that in this chapter, read forward, um, again we're dealing with a helpless baby. Um, it talks about nobody had washed you, to save you. Nobody had even put an eye on you. You were banded 
in the field, on the day of your birth. And now the man says, I passed by and I saw you, you were covered in your blood, the blood of childbirth. And I said to you, And I said, and I think the correct way to translate this according to Pshat is, Despite your blood, you will live. Despite your blood, you will live. In other words, even though you are covered with the blood of childbirth, you will still live. You will still survive. And that is when, um, what does he do? She grows up. And he marries her, etc., etc. You will notice in this story that, um, as I said, the, the girl doesn't do anything. It's simply looked after and cared for by this man. And Badamaychayi means, despite your blood, you will live. However, the Midrash, uh, and here it really is a Midrash because it, it perverts or it twists the, the, the plain meaning of the text, um, reads it in a very different way and reads the Psukim backwards and comes up with an absolutely reverse image of B'damayich Chayi. This is a verse which we say both in our Seder night, it also appears in every single Brit Milah, and there we, we, we follow the Midrash of Rav Matya ben Kharash, where we say, well, Am Yisrael didn't have any virtues in Mitzrayim. Um, the Israelites were absolutely assimilated, but God could not redeem them as an active partner with the Jewish people being totally passive. Instead, HaKadosh Baruch Hu had to instigate some sense of activity, some activism on the part of the people, and therefore, he gave them two mitzvot, two commandments, which both are demonstrations, and I'm adding this point, they are both demonstrations of covenant. One is an expression of the covenant of the Brit ben Habitarim, and that is the Korban Pesach. Um, we might remember that the Brit ben Habitarim contained the sacrifice or the splitting of the bodies of animals, and here also we have the animal. And the second is the other covenant given to Abraham, the Brit Milah. And therefore, Rav Matthew ben Kharash says, well, we didn't have any virtues, and therefore God gave us two mitzvot, Pesach and Mila. What I'm trying to, to say is that uh, Parakut Bet, chapter 12, gives us a new view on B'nai Israel. In last week's Shior, we described the fact that Sefer Shemot begins with Am Yisrael being very much in the picture Am Yisrael, or rather their elders of the Israelites, campaigning alongside Moshe, campaigning for freedom uh, from Pharaoh. However, from the beginning of the plagues, Am Yisrael reverts to the sidelines. Am Yisrael take a passive role as God exhibits all his power, his ototu moftim, uvachol Elohei Mitzrayim esesh fatim. God exhibits judgment against the Egyptian and the Egyptians and their gods and uh, we do, do not see the Israelites we do not see B'nai Israel in an active role suddenly in Parakudvet in chapter 12 on the eve of their redemption B'nai Israel spring back into action and uh, what is the nature of this action what we read in the Rambam and that is echoed in many many different uh, Mepharshim, many different Rishonim the Rambam said that what they have to do is, in some sense, repudiate Avodah Zarah. The aim of the Karban Pesach is actually to reject Egyptian culture, 
to reject the Egyptian gods and possibly to make a reverse statement that we do believe and we do uh, ally ourselves with the one God, with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Uh, Rashi, quoting the Midrash, maybe puts it even in a, in a, in a less um, clear way, but simply says, there is a fundamental need for Am Yisrael to be active. Unlike the view in Yechezkel, or which sees God as, as active and Am Yisrael as absolutely passive, uh, the Jewish people have to do something to deserve redemption. The Jewish people cannot sit back and watch redemption happen. And happen. We have to deserve it. We have to do some sort of act which uh, gets us involved. We have to invest ourselves in, reject, in redemption and um, do something which makes ourselves worthy. And therefore, uh, Parakut Bet represents uh, a huge leap forward for B'nai Israel as B'nai Israel starts demonstrating their active role and their participation in the process of Gula. Um, interestingly enough, here they don't act in a secular way, demanding religious freedom or demanding uh, political freedom, but here they engage in um, acts of dedication to Hashem, acts of sacrifice, uh, quintessential religious acts, uh, which represent their rejection of Mitzrayim and their allegiance with the covenant, with the covenant of Israel, with the Brit of Avraham, Yitzchak and Yaakov. And possibly this explains why it is so critical in Mitzrayim to uh, take the lamb ten days uh, on the tenth of the month, a few days early. In other words, this is a sense of preparation. A preparation for leaving. We can't do it at the moment we're being redeemed. We have to do it many days in advance in order to, to create that preparation. And this also explains uh, why they daubed the blood on the door as a clear exhibition of their faith. Um, and this certainly fits in with what the Rambam says. And this is the first perspective that I'd like to, to share with you on Perakut Bet. But there is a second perspective which needs to be addressed. And that is the, the third element of the Mishnah, um, which is, and we'll deal with the third and the fourth, uh, which is the notion of Chippazon. I already uh, mentioned the notion that uh, we had, we were told that we had to eat the Korban Pesach in a hurried manner, the Chippazon. And one wonders why. Why was it necessary to rush, to rush and, and eat? Couldn't we eat in a relaxed manner, start a little bit earlier and eat it at a relaxed pace? What is the imperative of, of rushing? And again, if we look at that Pasuk, Perak Bet, Pasuk Yud Aleph, we have to eat Motnei Chem Chagurim, we have our belt on, Aleichem Bragleichem, with our shoes on, Makal Chem Bietchem, holding our staff, Vachaltem Oto Bichipazon, Pesach Hul Hashem. We have to eat it in a hurried manner. It is a Pesach to Hashem. First of all, again, this scene gives us an indication that they're, they're, they're literally waiting to leave. They're waiting to leave and they're eating it hurriedly. Um, somebody once made the joke, this is the first fast food. Um, we have this sense that we're eating in a hurry. And again, why, why are we rushing so much? The second question about this Pasuk is, what does it mean, Pesach Hu Lashem? What is that end of the Pasuk? It's a Pesach to Hashem. Now, even the word Pesach, I have to say, um, indicates a certain swiftness, a certain 
hurriedness, a certain speed. Um, if you look at uh, Rashi there on the Pesukim, Rashi says, what does it mean, Pesach Hu Lashem? And uh, I'll quote from Rashi. Rashi says, HaKorban Karoi Pesach Al Shem HaDilug HaPsicha. The Korban is called Pesach because of the jumping and Dilug uh, and the Psicha and the leaping. God would jump over or leap over, leapfrog the Jewish houses and land on the Egyptian houses. He would leap from Egyptian to Egyptian and the Israel would, in between, would, would escape. Um, there's this sense of jumping or leaping, which is the word uh, Pesach. And uh, even this imagery of uh, God jumping or leaping gives a certain sense of propulsion to God. Or as somebody once uh, put it, you cannot jump slowly. A leap is a motion of speed. Um, Rashi, earlier when we talk about the word Bechipazon, Rashi makes a similar comment. He says, Lashon Behala It's not only speed, but Chipazon is a sense of Behala, of confused uh, panic was was the Korban Pesach eaten in panic and what, what exactly is this all about why does it have to be eaten so so fast interestingly enough the Ibn Ezra uh, on the Pasuk here Perak Yudbet Pasuk Yud Aleph suggests a, a, a certain explanation and he says um What's, what's the reason why we have to have this swiftness or this speed? They shouldn't get stuck. Why? That it was very important that they eat the Karban Pesach, that they eat the Paschal Lamb before midnight, before the destroyer come along to destroy Egypt. In other words, um, this was their protection. And in order to gain protection from this destroyer, which was going to come and kill all of the firstborns, they had to eat the Korban Pesach first. So that's why he says, That's why God told them to roast it, that it would cook quickly. Um, and the whole idea was, and the and that is why the rabbis say it has to be eaten by midnight, it has to be eaten roasted. Why? The whole idea was to uh, both cook this animal quickly and to eat it quickly so that all of the eating would take place before midnight, which is the, the moment of salvation. And this maybe gives some rationale as to why the Koran Pesach has to be eaten so rapidly. Um, but I think there are many other symbols here of the speed of redemption, and I'd like to try and probe what they mean. Let me try and try and explain uh, what's going on, and, and maybe even before this, let me let me say the following: there is it's it's very difficult to understand when it was exact, when the moment of redemption was. In fact, this is a a, a very fascinating discussion. Uh, in Brachot Taftet, where the question is, when was the redemption? Was it at, at night, at midnight, or was it at morning? Um, we know that in the in back to Perak Yudbet, 
we know that if you look in Pasuk Chafbet, it tells us, You're not allowed to leave your houses till morning. So, it's interesting that Ibn Ezra says that all the drama has to take place by midnight, but really, it seems like they're not leaving till morning. And that was the plan. They were told they're not meant to leave their houses till morning. But then, it seems like that didn't quite happen, because it materialized in a different way. If you take a look in Pasuk Lamed, verse 30, Vayakam Paro Laila, after the death of the firstborn, Paro got up at night, him and all his ministers, everybody in Egypt is screaming, because every house has somebody who is who is dead, and they say, and it mentions, at night, and they see, arise, get out from my people, and go. And if you look in Pasuk Lama Gimel, verse 33, They said, we're all dead. And they hurried them out. They hurried and exiled them from the land. And um, we have an interesting question. There's this sense, once again, of panic. The people thought that they would be leaving only in the morning by day. And it would appear that they were almost pushed out of their houses at night. This is the sense of the chipazon, the, as Rashi puts it, the behala umhirut, the, the, the hurried, unplanned, panicked, chaotic leaving of Mitzrayim. And, 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 and we have this interesting tension in this, in this chapter because everything seems so planned, so sedate, everything seems to be commanded in advance set up and organized and then at the last minute there is this incredible panic maybe let me add there is no greater symbol of the speed of Yitzhak Mitzrayim than the Matzah and on the one hand uh, there's, there's a familiar question with the Matzah we all remember the passage in in the Seder where it tells us oh, why do we eat Matzah on, on, on why do we eat Matzah uh, because the dough of our ancestors didn't have time to rise um, when Hashem, the King of Kings, appeared and redeemed them. That's what we say in the, and, and we bring a proof. And the proof is from um, Pasuk Lamadalad, where it says, And the people carried their dough before it had time to rise. They carried them on their shoulders. And we read later on in Pasuk Lamadalad, they baked their dough into matzah cakes because it had not risen. Because they were exiled from Egypt. And they couldn't wait. And they hadn't made provisions. Why hadn't they made provisions? Why did they knew they were leaving? Why didn't they make provisions? And a, a further question. The night before they left, they'd already been told to eat the Korban Pesach with Matzot. So, what is this symbol of the Matzah? Because they came out in a hurry and it was all a jumble and they didn't have time to make provisions and they couldn't wait and they and they had to bake it on the way. What's it, what exactly is going on here? I think actually we can reconstruct what happened quite quite simply. 
On the eve of uh, their departure, um, on the night of the 15th, really the night of the, the afternoon of the 14th, the night of the 15th, Bnei Israel ate the, the Pesach. And then they ate matzah as they were commanded to. But uh, as the Mishnah tells us in Pesachim, Pesach in Mitzrayim was only one night. All they had to do was eat the Korban Pesach with matzah. That was it. The next day, they were allowed to eat bread. Now they knew, they had been told by Moshe that they were only needed to travel the next morning, the next day. And so what did they do? They, they prepared a dough. They needed dough. And they wanted to break bread, normal bread, risen bread, in their ovens, their ovens which were at home in Egypt, before they would leave. And they knew they were not allowed to leave their houses till the morning, so it certainly had time to rise. Uh, they would have time to, to bake it in a regular oven. But then what happened? In the middle of the night, the Egyptians come knocking on the door. The Egyptians forced them out of their homes sooner than they anticipated. And it all happened very, very, very fast. And so they took their dough, which remained wrapped in their bags. And now they didn't have an oven and they couldn't bake their dough in a normal way because they, they didn't have an oven. So what do you do if you've got the dough and you don't have an oven? So I don't know if you've seen, you know, a taboon or, or one of these. You see that the, you know, frequently here in Israel, we have, a, a, you know, in every event at Cholamoid, you will have somebody puts a fire together and there's some sort of metal thing. I think it's called a taboon and everybody puts their dough on it. And it makes flat bread, basically like pita bread. Uh, it, it's not puffy, airy bread, chametz. It is, uh, it's flat, matzah type bread. Now we understand um, what the chidush is or what the sense of surprise is um, that they make matzah and not chametz. It says, Ki because they've been forced out of Egypt. The Gansayda lo asulahem. It doesn't say Gansayda lo hayulahem. It says Gansayda lo asulahem. They didn't have time to bake their bread in an organized fashion. Rather, it was in a panicked fashion. And therefore, uh, the night of Yitzhak Mitzrayim was filled with surprise, and it had an atmosphere of a of a hurried of a hurried and um, unexpected affair. Um, some aspects are choreographed by Hashem, and uh, because God sort of know, knew what happened, He designated that we should eat in a hurry. But other things happened more spontaneously, etc., etc. Um, and therefore. Our enduring symbol of Yisya Mitzrayim is the sense of chipazon, the sense of surprise, the fen- sense of things not quite working out as the, as as they as they were planned. Now, why do we need this chipazon? What does this chipazon represent? And here I want to try and tie this shiur together. And I'd like to to say the following: chipazon is the sense of speed the sense of something with an accelerated pace, and maybe I've got to try and rephrase this, the sense of things happening before they are meant to take place, the sense of something happening in a premature way. Um, the way Mitzrayim happens is, how should I say it, is an unnatural birth for our nation. Most nations develop their independence through an organic, slow development. And 
slow development is where a nation sort of start discovering themselves, develop their own independence, develop their national institutions, um, and slowly come into their own until maybe at some stage there's a revolution or a rebellion uh, as that power bursts forth. But it's usually a process which takes not years, but decades, if not longer. Here, um, in Yisiyat Mitzrayim, Hashem is doing most of the work, and suddenly Yitzhak Mitzrayim happens without B'nai Israel. It happens because God brings us out, and even if, as we quoted Rashi, we have to have, we have to do something. The small acts of Pesach and Milah are a paltry effort, are a very small effort um, in order to create a nation. This nation which has been sitting by and watching God's power is very nice. But how much nation building have we done? How much nation building have we done religiously? How much nation building have we done in terms of the national spirit? And maybe this sense of chipazon, and I hope I'm not shifting too much into drush in this area, but chipazon represents exactly this. Chipazon is the sense that we come out in a hurry. And here I'd like to relate to a couple of... Uh, of different perspectives on this. I'd like to start off with a text from the Tzidkara Tzadik, Rav Tzadik Lublin, who actually is talking in general about Chippazon. It's actually the first paragraph in the Tzidkara Tzadik. And he says, Reishit knisata adam laborashotem sharech liot b'chippazon k'moshamatsinu b'pesach mitzrayim Whenever you want to start doing something, some act of religion, you have to do it b'chipazon, like we find in the Exodus. That the start of the Jewish people was b'chipazon, not what we have to do subsequently in other Pesachs. Why? The beginning of something, when you want to start doing some additional area of Judaism, you have to break the chains of your desire. You have to break the chains of of inertia, and you have to keep that moment, seize that moment where you have the impetus, where you have the enthusiasm, and to generate energy from that moment, in order to burst forward, to jump forward, maybe he will succeed. In other words, whenever a change needs to be made, sometimes we have to make a leap, we have to make a jump. In order to capitalize on the moment, sometimes we have to jump forward. But that jumping forward always needs a catch-up time. And this is emphasized in many, many different places by the Svatemet. And the Sfatimet says something remarkable. He says it was essential to count out of Egypt in a hurry. What do we mean by in a hurry? If we would have waited for a, nat- for a natural, organic, political process of self-emancipation, it never would have happened. The Israelites were not organized enough. They didn't have enough self-respect in order to organize themselves to be a, a, their own people. God had to take them out. They had to be passive. God had to do it in a hurry. And yet, says the Sfatimet, we suffered a great deal as a result of this hurried manner, of this uh, rush of redemption. 
the Svanimet says, all of the troubles which took place in the rest of the Torah, the complaining and the murmuring, um, where it be for the man or for the water, we one might even say the complaining which later on was Kivrona Ta'ava, and the, even the Muraglim, the lack of success of the Exodus, the, the Exodus generation was a result of the Chippazon, was the result of the fact that an immature nation, an unprepared people, came out of Egypt. And later on, they had to play catch-up. Later on, they had to go slowly. Later on, they had to um, find a way of building up that fortitude within themselves. It all happened too fast. The, the accelerated pace of change left the people in a very, very fragile state. Sometimes in this connection, I think of the, the Olim from Arab lands in the 50s, the Sephardi communities, and even the Ethiopians more recently. And these populations moved from very different societies to, to Israel. They came from religious, patriar- patriarchal, traditional societies. And when they arrived in Israel, they faced a huge culture shock, formidable obstacles. It was very, very difficult for them to adapt. And, and for many of the older generation, their world collapsed. The older generations became estranged from the young. The youth became bitter. The community was poor. Um, modern education was a huge challenge. And for the Olim in the 50s, it took a generation, maybe two generations, for the hundreds of thousands of Olim to, to find their feet and find their place in society. And I remember when the Ethiopians made Aliyah, the government said, we're not going to make the same mistakes as we did with the Aliyah in the 50s. And yet... A similar cycle prevailed. Same social problems, the same generation gaps. And one wonders why. The Svatanet will say, because it can't be any other way. When you emancipate a people, time warping them from one cultural reality to a very different one, then it's it's so sudden. There isn't the, the natural, slow, gradual process of adaptation. And uh, what needs to happen is that first we come out of Egypt and the adaptation takes place later. What I've tried to present is the process transcribed by the Korban Pesach in Perak uh, Yudbet, which contains elements, uh, two, maybe two distinct elements. On the one hand, there's the element of Mikhob Asar, taking it on the 10th, and the daubing of the blood, which represents Am Yisrael in a sense being active. Am Yisrael activating themselves in order to express their national allegiance and their repudiation of Egypt. But on the other hand, we have the sense of Ne'echal Bechipazon, of the eating with haste, which represents the speed of redemption, the fact that this is a miraculous process, an unnatural process, and of course this has to happen because we would not have the exodus any other way. And yet at the same time, this godly orchestrated, this quite speedy and and very, very accelerated pace of redemption leads us into Parshat Bashalach with a people who are free, effectively, but at the same time in their hearts still have many elements of slavery. They still have not absorbed the connection, um, not the connection with freedom and not the connection with God. And it is uh, this sense of Chippazon which is actually going to provide quite a bit of the backdrop for Parshat Bashalach for the fears and murmurings, for the complaints and immaturity of B'nai Israel as they make their way to discover yet more of uh, what becomes their religious culture, 
their uh, cultural makeup, which is their way to uh, Har Sinai to receive the Torah. I think we'll leave it here. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you very much.